Welcome to the Perform Partners podcast. Today we're talking to Jem Henderson, who at the time of recording was the entrepreneur engagement manager at Tech Nation. Uh, since then, she's moved on to be the head of innovation at Crisis. Jem continues to be an adapt innovator, a community engagement manager, and content creator with lots of stakeholder engagement and experience. Her roles have covered government, commercial, academic, and public sector. She's an avid Star Trek fan, delighted to be working on changing the world to help her become more like the Federation. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It was longer than the usual, so we have split it into a couple of parts. Here's part one. So it's great to have you on the podcast, Gem. Uh, so tell us, how are you spending your time at the moment? I am enjoying this, like, not lockdown life thing that's happening. I've seen a couple of my colleagues at Technation. I've just been out to see Jamie Shaw, who is an IP um, expert. Um, he works for a firm um, that deliver workshops and do um, their IP lawyers, basically. So super interesting. Um, and yeah, just going to the pub a little, little bit more than I, I was, obviously, because who was going to the pub before and loving it. I don't blame you. I think, um, yeah, I have definitely taken advantage of... I love your photo. I don't know if you big them up on this podcast, but you probably should do because they're absolutely wonderful and I love seeing them on Instagram. Who was that, sorry? I love seeing your photos on Instagram. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. They're really good. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very impressed. Oh, well, that's the first time I've mentioned my photography on the podcast. We'll have to link it in the description, won't we, Sean? <laughs> It'll have to be a common theme. This, I mean, this podcast is just a creative outlet for me and Chloe, really. <laughs> I'll start poeting in a minute and then you won't know what's hit you. We will tee you up for that, don't worry, Jim. <laughs> so pre-getting back out into the world and getting back into the pub, have you, how have you spent the past 12 months? Have you picked up any new hobbies? What have you been um, working on? Well, apart from the being absolutely flat out at work, doing just, yeah, frankly an insane amount I think you know given that it was lockdown it was it was just still non-stop wasn't it but no I've, I've been very um I've got a master's degree in creative writing and I did it eight years ago and I finished my master's degree and two weeks later I got my first job as a copywriter and I basically never did any creative writing really ever again I mean obviously all copywriting is creative because you have to find like interesting ways to say stuff but it's not the same so yeah lockdown has given me an opportunity to start really honing my voice when it comes to poetry um and I've written about all sorts of stuff from kind of my past through to doing avant-garde poems about the blue screen of death uh, and everything in between tell us a little bit more about the blue screen of death then Oh, I've just submitted something today to a, to an experimental avant-garde visual poetry journal, which is specifically about the blue screen of death. I mean, we all know, we all know, do you get blue screen of death anymore? Um, it's a particular Windows thing where you have yeah. blue screen with all the numbers on it. And yeah, like I think um, I took part in something called NapoRimo, which is National Poetry Writing Month. And one of the, one of the prompts was, I think, to, to write a, an ode to something that is changing and so I was like ha I'm gonna write a 
poem to the blue screen of death because why the heck not um we have been experimenting with using like slashes and numbers and weird ways of formatting stuff so it's like this is the one this is where i go all out that's so interesting oh sorry sean i like it i like the concept it almost almost feels like one should be emerging for zoom meetings and mute yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's definitely been a few poems written in the last year entitled (laughs) You're on mute, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just leave it there and then half a sentence coming in maybe later on. <laughs> See, I love that. You're already bedded down in the avant-garde. Well done. Fantastic. Yeah, I think we've all had our fair share of um, awkward Zoom meetings over the past 12 months, haven't we? I'm really excited to get back to face-to-face with people, you know, not to see faces, being in this, you know, the same room as um, other human beings. Have you been hugging? This is the question. Uh, I, I mean, it might be controversial, but Boris said we're allowed to, so I have, you know. I've, I've been hugging for longer than apparently we were supposed to be. But <laughs> I am powered by hugs, and frankly, this has been... I remember the last few meetings that I had. I was at an event for Leeds Digital... Well, I don't know what it was, but was I remember, it- like, some people were touching elbows, and I was like, I'm not touching elbows. Give me a hug. And I remember very vividly hugging Sarah Tulip from BGSS. And that was my last work hug before it all went crazy. <laughs> and just on that note, so how have things been work-wise then in, in the world of Tech Nation? It's been pretty full on. We had to move. So we delivered the Tech Nation report um, last year. Might have been on the 14th of March, but don't quote me on that. Which was like five days before we delivered it we went right we're going to deliver this online what does that look like um kind of crazy is the answer to that we used Hopin, which has since then become a double unicorn um which is pretty exciting i guess if you're going to launch like virtual conferencing software this just before the start of a global pandemic that was the time good job then um so yeah we delivered that online and then we had to move all our programs online Um, I had to move my emailing online. So my job as entrepreneur engagement manager went from like traveling about, being in Huddersfield and Halifax and Hull and Sheffield and Leeds. And suddenly it was all on Zoom, which is exhausting, as we all know. Um, But yeah, it's been it's been super interesting. And I think once we got our heads around what being online looked like, it was okay. But going from like, well, we'd run an event and it will be an all day event. No. No, you do not run all day events on Zoom. They don't work because people cannot hack it. Um, so, you know, well, how do you change something that was an all day event to a two hour event? Does that work? Is it appropriate? So that was a big kind of shift for Tech Nation. And then also in, in the last year, Tech Nation itself has been moving from a kind of government grant funded model to a more hybrid model. So we actually just last week launched our first commercial program called Advance, which was um, it's aimed at scaling tech leaders. So your C-suite members of, of your company um, who need to face up to the fact that step, being a startup is not being a scale up. And that difference is huge. And actually you kind of need to hold somebody's hand through that process. So we, we now offer that not just as part of our programs that we do, which are free to access, but actually you can now pay for us to teach you all of those things. And yeah, it's, it's been a big shift, I think, inside the organization. And not only that, but we've gone from like, I think we were maybe 60 people when I started at Tech Nation and we're a hundred people now. And 
there's a culture shift there. You go from like when I was interviewed for my job two and a half years ago, I met the CEO and I wowed him by talking about innovation. Like if you go for an interview now, there's no way you'd meet the CEO. Like he's a busy man. He doesn't have time to talk to no, no, like little people. <laughs> so yeah, there's a big culture shift happened, I think, in Tech Nation. Oh, I think that's inevitable, isn't it? With growth that, you know, culture in itself changes, doesn't it? And, you know, we're on our own journey of growth that perform partners, aren't we, Sean? And yeah, I think our culture's adapting and growing with it as we as we do. So I think we can definitely um, but understand that kind of. We've, we've written a culture charter recently inside Tech Nation, and I think it's about what we've done is we've identified those things that we love that we don't want to change about ourselves. Um, we've identified those things that we want to be and looked at ways to bring those things in. So one of the things we've talked quite extensively about is failing openly. So if we run an innovation project or if we run something in a slightly different way and it goes wrong, talk about that. Say this didn't work. This 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 didn't happen. This this didn't quite pan out the way you thought it was going to because that way the learnings become holistic I hate that word I just feel like I'm doing management talk someone shoot me but like they become something that's part of the company and if everybody learns at the same time oh that didn't work suddenly everything becomes a bit more interesting if you're always going we're the best we're amazing we're so good then actually you don't manage to shift anything for the better it'll just always be delivering the same thing over and over and that's not how life works. Change is inevitable. That is one of Sean's favourite quotes. <laughs> Lifted from the bog. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Change yeah, is just just the more empathetic side. It's like an empathetic <laughs> bog. <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting thing around culture. It's, it's becoming a recurring theme in this. In, well, in these podcasts and our chats with people as well, I'm all, I've always got the seeds of a theory around the early identity of an organisation and the people you bring in and the guys or the girls that start it. It's almost like bringing up another child and what. what I'm just going to I'm just going to say just right now though. I'm going to call you out, guys or girls. No, 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 no. Like diversity from the off, guys and girls and okay, yeah, non-binary people. people. Or the people think, that start it. Yeah. I think people diversity from the off is essential. Um, I was recently having a conversation with a DNI expert and we were talking about diversity as an, an innovation practice, because essentially for me, innovation and change happens because you have different voices in the room. And if you have different voices in the room from the off, then suddenly the way you build the, the thing that you're building becomes more connected to reality, more connected to the world, more embedded, more agile more capable if you, you know I, I was part of a company a few years ago and I was the only girl in the organization I was the oldest person there it was all white people um I wasn't old enough at this point in time to be the oldest person in the room but I was and, and you know that organization felt to me really uncomfortable and clunky because it was just all the same people doing all the same stuff over yeah. and over I suppose in some sense, they're working to an adopted template of what they've seen and what they've learned. So your experience of seeing new organisations start, is there, do you see an emerging trend where it's more open from the off, more awareness of the benefits of diversity? I really wish I could say yes. I think 
everyone's definitely noticed that, but I don't think it's true. If you look at, you know, investment profiles of companies, they're still all white, middle-aged public school men giving money to white, middle-aged public school men. Oh, that's a brilliant idea. Good job, guys. Let's go to the pub and celebrate. And like, just, we're not innovating. We're not doing things exciting. We're not going to, we're not growing the world in a more exciting way. There is more of awareness of it. But I don't know how much of DNI isn't just sitting around going, yes, it's very important to talk about women in tech. Talked about well, it now. What would you do with it to improve it if it was up to you? I don't know. I, I don't know how you can. It's it, it's about it's about mindset. It's about those companies that have done it. I mean, we're kind of we're kind of buggered in. Sorry, I'm not going to say buggered, but we're kind of buggered in. You know, the the models that we have for good company growth well we've got jeff bezos who was given 100k by his parents to have a bookshop website in his garage and we've got um elon musk who is the inheritor of an emerald mine fortune and we've got bill gates who's super smart and went to all of the best universities in america i mean we have got richard branson is a white man who i believe is neurodivergent and didn't finish school but he is still a white man he's still white and a man yeah um and so you know the model of of what normal looks like isn't good yet we need to have more and better role models and that's just that's going to take time um i'm really lucky I've, i've had some amazing role models in my life you know who are women and and black women and 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 therefore I am inspired by, by them, but I don't know how they feel about where they've reached in their careers. And like, do they feel like they've run into brick walls because they're not white men? Who knows? I don't like to think that they do from the conversations that I have with them. I think they're still doing and striving, but we're not, we're not anywhere near we need, where we need to be. We just need to continue that conversation, don't we? And then put more into practice because it's not good enough to just talk it's about, about having it's about having the tools to do the yeah. expectation is about to release a um a thing called the founders toolkit i believe we're launching it at cogex on the 16th of june and this is not just a report on what diversity and inclusion looks like but an actual toolkit for what you need to do um, and it's aimed at uh, it's aimed at loads of different, every single strand of your business. So from operations to strategic to your HR team through to your sales team. And it has tools and ideas and things to do for all of those parts of the business. And that to me is where the change happens. That bit where if you have a thing to do, if you have a thing to implement, even if you don't know, even if I say, you know, when I run diversity and inclusion events, sometimes it's diversity and inclusion 101, you go, and racism is this, and sexism is this. And sometimes we're talking to people and we're talking about quite complex concepts. So you've got two pieces of work to do, but we still have to have a thing for everybody, which is why I love the idea of this diversity and inclusion toolbox, because it doesn't matter where you are, it's a thing to do. And that's where change happens. It's not talking, it's doing. Yeah. Concept to that applying it at the start of an organization, I think through whatever whatever change we're putting in place, the more it seems my experience of it anyway, the more mature the organization, the more 
the more set within the traditional template lifted from wherever because of the fear of loss maybe and the fear of maybe identity within the organization and the people at the top of the organization you know what what disrupts the sense of self i think that's harder for the large organizations i, I like the concept of doing it from the ground up and starting early and yeah. then that that becomes that becomes normal you know or even if it's just the facility to say we talk about it it's all right to talk about it much like the last podcast call when we we're talking around mental health you know, bringing it into room, being able, being comfortable to surface it, surface it authentically, but not paying lip service to it because it's another tick box on something we must do. Yeah. Where do you get, you know, where do you draw the benefits? What is what's the identity of a firm and the people in it? Well, one would hope that we're getting better and that more and more organisations going. Actually, we need to think about. Let's not get ten people in and go. Oh, we don't have any girls in the organisation. Let's let's think about that three people in. It just needs to be a a practice that we put in. Food for serving. That's what yeah. we need. <laughs> Food for eating, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> Continuing the analogy. You've talked a lot about company change and what you're going through. Is there any significant personal changes that you've seen recently? Ha! Yes, I'm very, very excited to talk about this one because this is actually my last week at Tech Nation. I've been here for two and a half years and it has been amazing. I've met some amazing startups and scale-ups and stakeholders and really bedded myself down in the Leeds ecosystem and it's been wonderful. But I managed to land myself a new job and it is basically, if you imagine what the perfect job for me would look like, which is like a bit of creativity and facilitation, a bit of stakeholder management, and then the thing that I care the most in the world about, um, I am going to go and be the head of innovation at Crisis, the homeless charity. Now, this is particularly amazing because I was actually homeless. In fact, the first time I was homeless, I was one years old. I was living, living in a homeless hostel in Harrogate then. And I lived in the same homeless hostel again when I was 16 years old. So to go from there, kind of experiencing what that was, having to beg on the streets to be able to afford to eat and you know, all the crap that went along with it, through to you know being 35 years old um, and having landed this job which is working for an organization who say that they want to end homelessness in 50 years time. They want to not even exist in 50 years time because they want to have brought an end to homelessness. Just feels particularly massive. Um, and yeah, the role is gonna be amazing. It's gonna be working across the whole company to bring in kind of cultural change and working on in every single part from the policy team through to the charity shop team and the e-commerce team and kind of in everything so basically it's a really good role for a busybody that used to be homeless that wants to go what are you doing how do we do it better <laughs> that is absolutely fantastic and the fact that you're so animated and excited about it and enthusiastic about it just screams you know volumes as to how successful I can only imagine you're going to be in that role Gem it sounds really exciting so you're going in as head of innovation what are your first kind of ambitions or goals I'd like to move the time scale up to ending homelessness in 20 years that would be amazing <laughs> well so I think that um, at the start of lockdown, the government brought in um, an everybody in policy, it was called, um, and they basically funded the end of homelessness. There were no people out on the streets at the, in lockdown um, because the hotels were empty and the government paid for people to be in those hotels. And actually, this model 
if somebody's homeless, give them somewhere to live. It's pretty effective. Um, I actually can demonstrate that. So when I moved to Leeds back in September 2019, I'd met a, a trans girl who was homeless and I'd met her for like two hours and I was in the pub and I was a little bit drunk and I was like, me, I'm moving to Leeds. I've got a spare bedroom. Come live with me. Um, I did see her again after that. Um, like she stayed at my house for the weekend to make sure that, you know, she wasn't a crazy serial killer and neither was I and we got on really well. Um, and so when I moved to this house, uh, she moved in with me and she was here for eight months um, and she went from sofa surfing, kind of not having a job, all this other stuff to I gave her a foundation. I gave her a room of her own, a place to be. There was always food in the house. I maybe made her clean the bathroom every couple of weeks, but you know, it wasn't like particularly onerous. And because she had that foundation, she then managed to grow, to build on that. And now she's got a job and a partner and she's having a kid and, and you know, she's doing because all she needed was that stable place to grow from. And I think that's at the heart of a lot of homelessness strategy. And it's certainly at the heart of what crisis have has been talking about but how do we enact that if we can point at everybody in and say you did it what was the outcome of that did we manage did the, it's complicated isn't it because not everybody managed to get a job at the end of everybody in because there weren't jobs because of because of furlough and because of all that other stuff but if we look at that model in Finland it works you know they give people home and they give them some money and they say you're safe you've got what you need you can afford to eat what do you want to do? What do you want to be? And if you have the foundation, then you can grow. So that's what I want to enact for everybody. You know, find everybody of me to tailor situation. I thought Sean was about to say something then. <laughs> I, I, I was about to drag this off down a rabbit hole and way past the time. I was, my mind always flicks to solutions for these things. And I have to remind myself there's no black and white answer. And there's a lot of grey in between, but... There's so many issues around it as well, because, you know, homelessness comes with a street culture and not everybody wants to be housed. And then homeless hostels can be like no dogs. But, you know, if your only mate is your, your dog that you've got on a bit of string, then why would you join? Or if the homeless hostel says, well, you're not allowed to ever take drugs, but you've got a drug problem, then what? Yeah. You know, you're not suddenly going to go, right, well, I'll just quit that heroin straight up, shall I? Move into the hostel and everything's going to be fine. My mental illnesses are all gone. Magic. It doesn't quite work like that. So it's very, it is complicated. But I do think foundation is the key. You know, whether that is, well, how do we help you with your mental health problems? How, how do we help you with your drug problems? How do we help you with your trauma and then grow from there? Yeah. I'm assuming crisis has these relationships that can almost account for those areas as well. Or is it all on crisis to say, well, we're going to come I in? Think it's pretty, it's a, I mean, I haven't joined yet. This is this is all idle speculation. I know some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, so obviously they've got like all of the, the charity stuff that they do, which raises money for the skylights, which is what they call the hostels. They've got a new thing happening over in Liverpool, which is a furniture restoration workshop, um, yeah. which, you know, it's giving people skills and talents and let's face it everybody wants to buy teak mid-century furniture and not ikea stuff anymore so that was the time so i i took part in a project a few years ago called haunt uh, which was in harrogate and it was a creative writing project kind of i think it was actually the first poem i had published after my after my little boy was born and two of my friends who had also experienced homelessness in harrogate 
went out and worked with the homeless in the town because Harrogate has a funny you know everyone thinks it's really opulent and rich and actually it's got this underbelly of drugs and poverty and they went and worked with homeless people and got them to do creative writing exercises because creative writing or any kind of writing is a way of saying here I am Mm -hmm. this is me you know just the, the very act of putting words on a page is, is doing that piece of work and making you more of a person. And I know that crisis actually do quite a lot of this stuff, but I'd love to see more of that because I read a study recently which said that a lot of people genuinely see homeless people as street furniture and not people. And to embody that, to be that person, I mean, I've experienced it. You know, I had to beg for money to eat and you don't feel human. You don't. And, and so learning to own that and go, no, I'm not. This is a thing that's happened to me. I am a person experiencing homelessness. I am not a homeless person. Yeah. Those things are different. So we're obviously our listeners that listen to this podcast right now. How can they be part of changing that narrative? Because I think we all have a responsibility to be part of that change. You know? I think it, you know, it starts off really tiny. It starts off with people first language. It starts off with saying people experiencing homelessness instead of the homeless, you know, because that's just objectifying, literally objectifying them to street furniture. But then it goes on, you know, I know loads of people that go off and do kind of the Christmas thing where you go and serve Christmas dinner to homeless people. And that's amazing. But do you know what? They're still homeless in July. Yeah. Stuff then. Um, raise money, raise awareness, talk to people that are homeless, don't just ignore them, give them money, that's fine, <laughs> like, I have a massive problem with people saying, oh, you shouldn't give them, shouldn't give them money, like, I, I've been in the pub this afternoon, and I've spent my money, it's not a problem for me, so why is it a problem for anyone else, um, and then, yeah, hopefully, donate to crisis, and we'll tackle it, we'll just fix it, it's fine, I'm gonna fix homelessness, it's gonna happen. Maybe in another three, six months time, when you mm-hmm. when you've got a real good grip of that landscape and conversion. Yeah, I come back and go, bloody hell, I've got no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> That's the same in any business. <laughs> it is really exciting though. I think just to kind of I know we're sat on a Zoom call, but I can really feel your energy towards that role already and how you're just going to channel as much awareness through it it's channeling me through, like, yeah. I think I, it was one interview one interview three hours later they rang me I was like and I was like oh, it's good. I thought I buggered up the interview they rang me like can we offer you the job I was like yes like your energy like yes <laughs> I care. this is the thing like they're not going to find anybody else that cares about this in the way that I care about it um mm. I remember so that project haunt that I did in Harrogate it was um uh, one of the final pieces from it was a immersive theatre piece and um, it was like a tour around town with somebody talking um, and then you, we got to the library and go downstairs in the library in Harrogate and it's where the children's library is it's where I spent a lot of time as a avid nerd um, growing up and you get down the stairs and we went into this room and I walked into this room and there was like an elephant like a sheet with elephants on it on the wall and psychedelic posters everywhere and a mattress on the floor and empty beer cans and like tab ends and overflowing ashtrays everywhere and it 
that's the answer it, it the word is it it triggered me it was like walking into the squat that I lived in at 16 and it took my breath away because this was my friend's experience 10 years before me and it was his friend's experience another five years before that and it was this this exactly the same experience over and over and over and that's the problem you know this this experience keeps happening to people and nothing is well, not, not enough is being done to change that not you know the narrative about homelessness focuses on you know one type of person kind of a let's a man in his 40s who has an alcohol or drug problem who you know is unsympathetic in the eyes of the public because of various things and that's just not what homelessness looks like just linking back to what we we're talking about previously with diversity mm-hmm. How diverse is homelessness then? Do you, do you carry that? Do you carry um, the same? It's like it's almost like the counter of well, homelessness looks different for a woman. Homelessness looks, you know, if you're a woman, it's probably much more likely that you can find a bed for the night because you can find somebody to sleep with for the night, and that's just a sad fact of it. And that's dangerous, but it's true. But it just means homelessness looks different. And then we look at things like um, vulnerable. Homelessness isn't just not having a house that's houselessness homelessness is not having a home look at all the people that are put up in b&b's you've got like a family sharing a one room um you know it might be a dad and two kids who share one room and there's a double bed and a like a blow-up mattress on the floor that's still homelessness Mm. um and so it's very diverse it's just actually the way we look at when we say homelessness it has a view I think that's what we're getting at more eloquently put by yourself. But I mean, how much do we choose to see? Like in organisations, you know, you, you, we do look across a landscape. Again, this is just based on my experience of balding, middle-aged white men, you know. Um, but if I was to... And if, the, if those balding, middle-aged white men, thankfully, this is an audio, not a video. Otherwise, you, know, you can easily class me as one of them. Not middle class, still quite... Through the accent, you know, clawing my way through the working class. But what do we, what do we build in our own construct? What do we see? What do we want to see that forms our beliefs and the way we operate in business in the world, and then segregate others to sustain that belief and position? Yeah, it's, it's about othering, isn't it? Basically, I'm yeah. safe. This is good. This is yeah. all fine. This yeah. never happened to me. Yeah. And that informs my core sense of self. And I'm scared to change that. It's actually one of the reasons I talk about the fact that I was homeless so much, because I like to upend people's opinions of what that looks like and go, well, actually, I was homeless when I was 16. And they go. Yeah. I was going to ask, actually, do you find that and the diversity, you know, kind of calling out old middle-aged white men, do you find some people take it as confrontational? I mean, I am confrontational, so it would not be that surprising if people took it that way. I don't think. I'll say that for Tech Nation. Good job, them. I've learnt tact. Not the best, not always, not 100%, but I can definitely go, I will say this to you in this way instead of the way I want to. (laughs) Um, But there is a satisfaction in, you know, even even just generally, like I walk into a room in a, in a, well, with bright pink hair and a blue suit and the accountants and lawyer go, what are you? And then I start talking and they go, oh, you know what you're on about? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to completely reassess what I think now and actually listen to you. Um, we 
It's deeply satisfying. So yeah, I love being confrontational, both in that pink-haired, raging feminist sort of way, and just by knowing what I'm on about and being able to talk about it. Yeah, it cuts to the point a lot quicker. Uh, it's, mm. I've, I've, I'm not utilising tools like that, but I do like the candid, direct approach. I find it it does break down constructs out of a lot quicker. But it's the northern way, it's much easier. Yeah. <laughs> the northern way. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, and it's bloody fantastic as well, isn't it? <laughs> listening to this episode of the form partners all things change podcast you can connect with us on linkedin just by searching for form partners or via twitter or instagram searching for the handle at form partners you can also get in touch with the team using the email address marketing at form-partners.com if you want to suggest any additional podcast guests or you'd like to feature us on the podcast get in touch we'd love to speak with you Thank you.